0: Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic Guys podcast of which we are the worst. I'm Alec. I'm Eddie. And I'm Corey. And today we're going to be talking about Credo Ut Intelligam. Look at you. You know you're Latin. What can I say?
1: (laughs) Before we get started, Corey, who are you? What a great question.
0: No, uh, I'm
1: I'm a coworker of of Eddie's and Bobby, who are on the podcast. I work with them at the same high school, teaching philosophy and theology here. Um, Tell us the
2: ten biggest sins you've ever committed in your whole life.
1: We got to make we got to build it, up your credibility. If to if I'm those. gonna go that route, get a priest in here because I want it to count. <laughs> it to count. <laughs> yeah,
2: maybe we could just uh, record your your confession on the podcast. Fair enough. I don't think that that, I don't think that that would fly, but maybe. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so you Where teach we? here. Uh, what,
1: what grade level do you teach? I teach seniors here. I also teach, I'm gonna be teaching the uh, sophomores and the juniors here. Currently, I'm in a master's program at Franciscan University. Franciscan! For, <laughs> for Catholic theology, and I'm loving every minute of it. My undergraduate studies Go were berries. in religious studies, and I've always had a passion for philosophy, and I've always studied that along with my theological studies.
2: He's also a member of the, the secret cohort to grow the chess community in our high school. <laughs> His school kids don't even know how to play chess anymore. So well, we, there's actually a chess club, which is awesome, and it's growing a lot, but I'm busy at the day where it meets. But I always am, like, during break or during after school, I'm trying to teach kids how to play chess, and uh, he is as well, except for there's a couple kids who are pretty good, though.
1: Yeah, it's really taken off. Like Eddie and I just used to play in campus ministry, us two, and then it grew to like ten kids and now people are playing all over. There's a chess club. There always was, but the chess club like is vibrant. We go on Kairos and when we have free time, like everybody on our retreat that we're on wants to go or wants to play chess with us.
0: Yeah. It's a good game. I don't know why I brought that up, but we'll have to talk more about it. There's a lot of good lessons in chess. And then you coach as well, right? I mean so you get to
1: yeah, so I'll be coaching wrestling this year and golf this year, which I enjoy a lot coaching. I've coached football in the past, coached basketball in the past, so do all of that. And uh, just one other thing that I'd like to shout out my fiance, we're getting married in five months in the Catholic Church, so I'm super Ooh. excited about that. I'll probably be talking about that a little bit later because it relates to the topic we're talking today. Yeah. What is the
0: topic we're talking today, by the way? Latin. Latin. <laughs> credo ut intelligam. Utenteligam. Ut, uh, we're going do this, this whole
2: episode in Latin. Yes. <laughs> Uh yeah, with a with a live translation, <laughs> we so credo ut intelligam. I'm pretty sure it actually was originally said in a certain form by Saint Augustine back you know back when he was alive, but it was I think it was <laughs> I think it, was, I, think it was, I think he said credo ut intelligas, kind of like you believe so you may understand, and then Saint Ambrose of Canterbury, I think this credo ut intelligam like he adapted that and finalized like that as the saying, which means I believe so that I may understand.
1: Right, saying that there are some things that the Lord has to reveal to us, that the natural world, the natural order, the sciences can't reveal to us, and therefore I will believe in you, Lord, so that as I journey with you, you will reveal some things to me that you've revealed to other brothers and sisters in the faith that I'm looking forward to seeing through your eyes.
2: Yeah, I think that there is just a need for belief in a lot of ways, that we don't always see in today's world because people, they don't want to believe they want to have all the answers right away and never want. And once they have been convicted of something, then they will make decisions, especially in regards to the faith. Like if I can, if everything can make sense to me, and then I'll engage in the faith. And the problem is, is that you really can't get through the door with that because it even, you know, all the time in scripture, it's like, you know, knocking the door will be open to you seek and you will find if you don't have the faith you won't it's, it's like, it's a non, it's a
0: non-starter. It, you can't even really, Get yourself going with that. What do you mean by the faith? Like the faith that the answers will be there, or will at some point make sense? Or what? What do you mean by faith? I mean like faith in general. Just having a faith in God.
2: Even when trying to understand the mysteries of the grandeur of God, we need to have the faith that we know we believe that He is real. And then when we see the effects of Him, when we see the when we were presented with answers, they take root. But that belief is, I would say, that topsoil that has to be fertile or else the, even the understanding, the, the arguments, the, the reasoning, the miracles, or even anything else is not going to take root if you don't first believe in them.
1: You also have to take <clears throat> on faith that what you're seeking can be known. And so you'd mentioned something earlier about this generation in particular seeking instant gratification. And I think that's a result of the of technology and the advancement of technology. We're always thinking like, OK, I'll go to Google and I'll find the answer I'm looking for. But your spiritual life doesn't work that way. And even the sciences don't work that way. And that's something that uh, I I like to just touch on really quick is like even a scientist has to take on faith that what they're going to find in the universe, whatever it is they're looking, if it's in the areas of biology or astrophysics or chemistry, that it can be known. Something interesting that I just found out recently, there was a a theist mathematician by the name of Kurt Gödel's who came up with something called incompleteness theorem. Basically, what it states is there are some mathematical truths in the universe that cannot be proven therefore whenever a mathematician is seeking out an answer for a proof they have to take on faith that it is one of the theorems that can be proven so mathematicians scientists all start with faith and then journey to and let the field that they're in reveal itself to them and that's what we're saying with and telecom start with faith journey with christ into your faith and let him reveal to you some things that cannot just be known through the empirical sciences.
0: Yeah, which is, I think, what I was trying to get at. It's not, we're not starting from a place of you have to have a full Catholic faith and belief, but the faith that answers are there and can be found, as opposed to having a specifically Catholic faith. I mean, one of the things that, and when we said we're going to talk about this topic, came up in uh, some of Aquinas' arguments at the end, he says, and this we call God. And so he takes his argument, and he says, what can I reason? At the end of that, whatever that is, is what I will call God. So it's not saying I'm going to start from God and then reason my way backwards to get to him. It's what are what are the ends of my knowledge? What are the ends of what I can get to? I'm going to call that God. Yeah, yeah, rightly so. Um,
1: and I think just going on to the ontological argument from saint anselm same thing he's like if i can imagine that there is an omnipotent omniscient omnipresent maximally benevolent entity in the universe then i have to conclude that that is god because there's nothing greater than that and i think that's what aquinas was saying was like okay if i can conceive that there has to be something in the universe that started everything but itself did not require anything else for its existence we have to call that god we deduce all the way to that to god or induce I'm confused sometimes on that. One of the deuces. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of deuces. I
2: heard this analogy uh, proposed in a way, kind of like you take like something like the sun, where if you were to take somebody who has never seen the sun before, has never seen sunlight before, and just explain to them while they're sitting in a dark room that they've lived in, you know, think of like Allegory of the Cave type situation where they just have lived in a dark room their entire life, and you say to them, this there's like this thing that is outside that is... Very far away from us, huge, that is so hot that it lights up everything and every warmth that we feel is is residual from that giant star. They would not believe you, right? It would be very it would be very difficult for them to believe to understand what that is. But if you were to take them, if you were to show them like the the consequences of it and you could say that like all right now if you take them outside and be like, okay, you feel the warmth, you feel the sunlight. You can even look up and you can see that there's that circle up there that again, because even seeing that circle up there doesn't necessarily prove that it is a star billions of miles away or how millions of miles. What is it? Ninety three million, million miles. Ninety three million miles. That there it's uh ninety three million miles away. It huge, you know, whatever a hundred thousand times bigger than Earth. That doesn't necessarily prove that could just it could just be like a light bulb or something, you know. For whatever reason but you you see all the effects that are around it and you believe what the person is saying to you and on combination of the belief and with the knowledge of the effects you can come to understand the sun because you will never go to the sun i will never go to the sun does that
1: make sense
0: yeah go ahead
1: yeah definitely makes sense and you know what's interesting is when i teach allegory of the cave i always teach the parallel to christ referring to himself as the light so that which the people who are in the cave They need the light to see reality for what it is, not for the shadowy underworld that they've experienced it in. And so it's perfect for what we're talking about today. When Christ refers to himself as the light, that's what I think of him as is like, okay, if I just live within the confines of all I can only see and experience here, I'm basically in the cave all I can experience through those shadowy world when I let Christ in who is the light he will illuminate me and I am like those who are outside the cave now I start to experience the Sun or the truth in a way that I wasn't able to do it from before
0: and we could keep going on analogies of light I mean there are no shortage of them the first one that comes to mind for me from CS Lewis is I believe in Christianity as I believe that the Sun has risen not only because I see it but because by it I see everything else it, we can't exactly look at the sun. We can't look at
2: the light source of the sun, but we can, however, see that it lights up everything else for us. And if we have that baseline faith, it kind of blossoms everything else and everything else comes into a clearer picture. And I think that that's very important as well. Because even with, as far as like science goes, like we kind of, like we touched on, we can't, science can only take you so far. We are we were just kind of jokingly talking about aliens today before you got here, Alec, Corey, and I. <laughs> uh, and we always talk about like, you know, aliens, aliens, all the kids, not all the kids, but the students always want to talk about aliens. Like what if like aliens were real? Like do they get to go to heaven or whatever? And, and they always talk about like different kinds of aliens. but in my head, like, and by all means, someone can please prove me wrong. I'm not an expert on these things, but what we know about life is that it has to be carbon-based. Everything we know about the way for life to form has to be carbon-based. In order for carbon-based life to be formed, it has to be on a planet similar to Earth that's a certain distance from a certain type of star with a certain kind of atmosphere and enough water. All of those things have to be present for carbon-based life, which is the only way we know for life to be formed. And so I think like if aliens are real, which they might be, I imagine they would look almost identical to us because this is what we have become like this is the most suitable life for us to live in this planet. So I don't think that there can be aliens that breathe fire instead of air. I don't think that there can be aliens who Unless we just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, of course we haven't developed into breathing fire so that, you know, that being said, I, I think well the point of this is, is that we take on faith that what we know to be true on this planet and what we can observe in the universe is true in every corner of the universe. Or else it's just not really true at all. You know, we take on faith that every time a chicken lays an egg, a chicken comes. But if that were to not happen in some planet far off in the distance, a whole bunch of stuff is thrown out the window now. But we take on faith that when consistent results are found by something, if you do the experiment right, we take that as truth. That's the whole scientific method. But I think that that requires faith because nothing can really ever be completely unquantifi- Yeah, or- Some things are unfalsifiable. Yeah.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Exactly what you were talking about, about the consistency of the universe, pointing to a consistent truth that if there isn't this consistency and there isn't the subject truth, then everything is subjective. And if everything is subjective, then how can we even trust the slightest statement, the slightest statement of even, we'll say a Descartes, that I understand that I exist, so therefore I must exist, right? I think, therefore I am. Then that, that could not be true in another universe or another place of the universe, like you were saying.
0: Well, that's pretty fundamental like objective versus subjective we can't even make the statement that the world is subjective because that's an objective statement so you can either say it's objective or you can say <clears throat> nothing
2: which is obviously the most frustrating thing in the whole wide world yeah we <laughs> alec and i just got into a lengthy debate about that <laughs> and it's always it's always fun i mean by finding mean that very didn't frustrating. sound fun <laughs> yeah. in your tone if you can't tell by my tone it is always <laughs> very very fun And I think, but, you know, to really, especially with God, and I think Bishop Barron does a really good analogy with this, where he talks about, like, you can know a lot about a person. You know, you can do as much research as you want about them, about their height, their eye color, their weight, their favorite things, what their habits are, where they work. But if you really want to have a relationship with somebody, if you really want to understand them as a person, sooner or later they're going to reveal something to you that has to be taken on faith. The simplest one would be how can you ever know for a fact that somebody loves you how can you ever know that your your girlfriend your boyfriend your husband your wife your kids when they say they love you that they mean it because that's unquantifiable you could say like there is actions that can be shown but also actions can be misleading uh, misleading, and they could be uh, selfish reasons or they could be whatever it is so sooner or later if you really want to understand somebody if you really want to have a relationship with somebody they're going to reveal something about them about their heart that you cannot test You have to have faith that it's true. And then you will understand the person way more. And even the things that you can test start to make more sense. And this is the same way with God. Sooner or later, God reveals things to us that we can't necessarily quantify, but that doesn't mean that they're not true. There's just parts of being in relationship. He is creator. We are his creation, but in beyond that, we are his children. Like things will be revealed to us that we cannot quantify that we have to take on faith.
1: Yeah, I have two analogies that I wrote down that I would uh, expand on that point. But uh, just calling back to the to the girdles thing, exactly what you're saying is proof does not necessarily equal truth, meaning the truth can exist without the proof. And I think that's what you were saying, too, is like, it, it, just because it's not quantifiable
0: doesn't mean that there's, there's no proof of it empirically doesn't mean that it's not true. Does uh, it mean, I'm sorry, Yeah, no, quick, it's okay. Does that mean that is proof enough to make something true? which i mean i think we might have to start defining terms at this point because for something to be true you're saying it doesn't necessarily need proof or that we have the proof but is the opposite true where if we have proof does that make it true sorry let me let me reconsider
1: what i meant by proof what i mean by proof is is empirical proof or proof within the area that we're talking about so biological proof for whatever biological truth that we're looking for. What Gödel said was he had to think outside the area of mathematics and go into more of a a philosophical, logical way of thinking and use other fields to come to that conclusion. So what I'm saying is, is with the theology, sometimes we cannot use the system that we're in, the empirical system that we've been given to find that truth, but that we have to go outside of it or transcend it. And that can only be done through an encounter with the transcendent that takes us outside Of the system that we're in um so it's a different kind of proof it's not an empirical proof gotcha yeah Yeah, it's it's not not under the
0: purview of that kind of proof exactly this is because even
2: empirical evidence can sometimes even be misleading i mean this is what your dad always talks about uh alec pointing out alec that he doesn't trust any study at any time ever because the evidence quote-unquote we need to stop doing air quotes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, insert quote insert quote <laughs> the evidence is always can be misleading because the control setting of the what is being tested is oftentimes manipulated to prove a point now granted kind of a frustrating thing because if you can't trust anything you can't tr- like what's the point but definitely some validity to that claim that they're oftentimes what is tested can
0: be untrue yeah we should be vigilant of how a study was done
1: yeah and so just a couple of things, expanding on the Bishop Barron point that you were making. The first thing I was thinking about yesterday was like baseball. I could know everything about baseball. I could know all the rules of baseball and understand it inside and out. But there's a truth that's going to be spoken to me that I can only experience by playing the game of baseball. And let's just use in this example, hitting a home run. Until I enter the game, so I, I enter into, we'll say, the faith, and I start to participate in the faith, there are some truths that will only be revealed to me what it feels like to hit a home run, what it feels like to run the bases. That stuff can only be experienced by taking on faith that, A, there's an experience that will be revealed to me there, and then participating in it. The other example that I had before I... let Second you guys time
2: Bishop that. Barron talked about baseball Yeah. <laughs> in this podcast. Today. Yeah.
1: Was, was my marriage, my upcoming marriage. So when I proposed to my fiance, I had taken all the empirical evidence that I could through the four years that we had been dating up to that point to say, yes, I can foresee her being a great mother, being a great wife, being somebody I want to spend the rest of my life with. But ultimately on our marriage day, when we're getting married and we take our vows, she's essentially saying, I take on faith that everything I have known about you up until this point will remain consistent with the, way, with the direction that it's going. And I'm saying the same thing to her. And I think that's one of the things that we're talking about here with God is, yes, it is important to have the philosophical arguments and the apologetical arguments and use those to point you into a direction. But at some point, you're going to have to enter into the relationship on faith and let him reveal to you experiences
0: that could not be known otherwise. I think also it's just it's a bit of an unfair standard because how many people that say that they're not Catholic because it just conflicts with reason? It just doesn't add up. You have to believe it on faith. Is everything that they do so reason backed, or you know, is there anything that they take on faith, or anything that they take on emotion, or are they really holding everything to the standard of is this the thing that makes one hundred percent the most sense, or are they only using that lens to look at the faith? And the problem it comes with, like even just going back to evidence,
2: is people say, I don't, you know, I don't believe in whatever. It's not, it's not my thing. It doesn't make any sense. But the overwhelming evidence if there is any evidence if you were to test it via the scientific method would overwhelmingly come up positive for the theistic experience because again now you could say like well if we gauge the world right now the majority of people still believe vast majority of people still believe in god to some extent a like, form, form of god a for yeah a form of god but then if you go back through history like the overwhelming majority of people in the history of time have believed in God and people always yeah, say like, they were all well, dumb. Yeah. And that's and that's like, that's a whole nother topic. That's so frustrating because honestly I would take a medieval peasants ability of logic and reasoning over a teenager right now or yeah? someone my age right you now. Wanna,
0: you want to put your stamp on that? <laughs> unless <laughs> I mean, unless you're listening to this podcast. You're <laughs> then you're really smart. But,
2: no.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I do think we make very lapsed because like, they they were ignorant and they were they knew that they were ignorant. Do you ignorant. think it's yeah, it's Dunning-Kruger effect where it's you know a little bit, you think you know everything yeah, and then kind the of more the, you learn, the le- the more you know that you don't know.
2: Yeah, and uh, like they they would at least chalk things up to like I don't know or they would at least like not have opinions on matters, but we make very large blanket statements without a whole lot of like thought behind it. Probably probably guilty such of it too. Such as the one you just did such of as, saying we make me. blanket yeah. statements without thought. I had never make a blanket statement in my whole life. But I think going back to if you were to test it how you would the scientific where you say these are the factors that need to be in the control setting to get the results that's adequate people who engage in the faith genuinely with an open heart and again is how do you quantify that but people who genuinely engage in the faith overwhelmingly come out with a positive experience believing in god now people can say like all the time like i'm not going to engage in the faith until whatever until i believe but that's not that's a non-starter for us as people who are in the faith. This says because like you're whether or not you believe in God is irrelevant to me until you have tried and genuinely tried. And now we can look at like outliers because there's so many people who uh, have fallen away from the faith because of either bad experiences. But again, that's not the proper control setting. And that's why those are outliers, because in any any test, any that you do, there's always going to be cases where like somebody's pencil broke when they're doing the test. So they didn't pass it or whatever it is, you know, something like that. And you can't control those things. That's why you always have, like, if there's a certain number below or above that you kind of cut those ones out and you fo- focus on what the majority is, the results are coming back. And with all of that being said, like, it's, it's kind of similar to like a diet program or whatever is like 95% of people who have engaged in the diet program to the T have lost a lot of weight. You're saying like, I'm not, until I lose weight, I'm not going to try the diet program. <laughs> well, then like your opinion doesn't mean anything to me in this regard, because I'm sitting here having done the diet program and have lost the weight. So you cannot tell me that it doesn't work when I'm standing in it have having worked when you haven't done what is necessary to receive the result.
0: And beyond just the experience of it, but you have other reasons to believe why it worked. It's one. It's one thing to say, to give reasons for why you don't think the diet will work. And it's another thing to say, I'm not even going to start it. Well, here's, here's the irony of the whole situation, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, like
1: so all the scientists begin with the step of faith that, okay, that I can test this hypothesis. Because why would you get out of bed in the morning if you're a scientist, if you knew for sure that the hypothesis was not testable? Yet when it comes to religion, it's like, no, 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 we want the result first. Uh, we want you to start from the area of reason and reason to me why God exists, and then I will believe. But when it comes to my own work as a scientist, most of them that are not theist are like, well, I'm going to take on faith and then I'll, I'll I'll reason later. But also the other part of the hypothesis thing, or the, the quantifying of, of the, of the spiritual experience that has always blown my mind was like, okay, you've got 2 billion Christians on the planet approximately and approximately 1 billion Catholics on the planet. All you need is a, in science is A hypothesis that is tested with a specific result and then retested and maybe a second person or third person to follow up with that and now okay we can say three or four scientists have gotten together and this is the results that we've come up with so therefore it is an empirical proof yet they won't take the, they won't take the uh, collective experience of one billion people, and if you want to expand that out to all world religions or across space and time, all spiritual experiences, that even to the minimum, let's just eliminate what people claim is God, but that they've experienced something that is not of this world, that is not physical,
0: that doesn't count as quantifiable for them. The collective experience doesn't count. Yeah, we don't want to argue ad populum that it's just well. Look, we have two billion Christians; they must be right. We don't want it. Two point wanna, four. Y- yeah, <laughs> we don't. I'm just going to cut off that last four hundred million. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't want to argue just because a lot of people do it. But I think your point is that why do we believe these few instead of these many? This this many, and the whole thing
1: is is just the experience. Let's just cut everything down, all the dogma, all the doctrine, for the moment, and just say these people experienced something that was not part of the physical universe in a form of prayer. Uh, I was watching an atheist, his YouTube the other day, and he was talking about how they were um, looking at the brainwaves of people who are praying or who are meditating. And then they were able to replicate that using a foreign instrument to produce the same exact endorphins that people go through, through praying. And so they were saying like, okay, therefore we can prove that, that it's just the brainwaves that are producing these feelings. but in both instances, the effect was the brainwaves, but in the one instance, the cause was the instrument. What was the cause in the prayer? What was causing that there? That's what my next follow-up question would be. Why would these, we'll say, 2 billion Christians who pray have this effect? Where is the co- you, the collective cause coming from? That's not a foreign instrument that
0: is being used within the physical universe. Well, do you have a response to that? Or what? what would you say... What's his best response to you? You give him that question. What does he say?
1: Yeah, okay. So we'll, we'll call this the steel manning argument. Like if I had to strengthen his argument, uh, it, it's, it's really tough because clearly there's an effect. So clearly there's a cause. Whatever that cause is, is not something that we are able to observe physically outside of the pe- person. It could be rhythms. The only thing that I think they could go off of would be, ri- would be rhythms because they also were able to produce similar effects in the brain through music. So I would say maybe the chanting or the prayer, if you were praying in rhythm, might be able to produce that. But then to what level? Because there are some people that experience profound amounts of endorphins released in just silent meditation or silent prayer. So where, where's, I, it, I think the burden of proof now is on them. Where is the
0: cause for that effect? Yeah, and then also the rhythm of what? Because it's one thing, a rhythm of prayer, but I could say like computer mouse computer mouse computer. Am I going to get the same effect? Is it just the rhythm? Then it shouldn't matter what is being chanted or when, or for what purpose. True. Yeah. And
2: an example that I think we can talk about too, is this, I I don't know if you guys are familiar with the concept of dark matter or dark energy in the universe. I am not an expert on it. I remember hearing about it years ago and like kind of locking it away in the memory bank of this kind of topic. because. I did a little bit of research on it and please if anybody knows it better than me reach out to us and let us know where i'm wrong but essentially is the amount of mass in the universe especially particularly found in each individual galaxy is not sufficient to explain mathematically how gravity holds that galaxy together the galaxy is too big and too compact for how much like the gravity would not affect it as much as it would Basically, with the amount of mass that we can observe, the galaxies would be way more spread out and more sporadic. But I said they're very condensed into these, like, essential balls in the middle of the universe. But they calculated it with this thing called dark matter, which is, they say, is a matter that doesn't interact with other matter, cannot be observed, doesn't emit light or react with light, but is there. Because when you run the math simulations with it being there, it works. So, and it's something, uh, like, ridiculous, like, between dark matter and dark energy accounts for, like, it needs to account for like 90% of the matter that exists in the universe. And I remember reading that. I'd be like, that's not real. But if I looked at the more I looked into it and the more I read about it is like, it's pretty understood that this needs to be there, but they can't observe it at all. And yet, but they see the consequences of it and they see that it has to be there. And therefore they attribute it as we don't know what it is, but we know that it's there. And I don't understand how like somebody who is a scientist who accepts that cannot in the same way, accept. God, that's literally the exact same reasoning that we give for God. Like even what you said about uh, Aquinas where this is what we call God is we know that there's an effect. We know that the universe had a beginning that doesn't explain itself. We know that like people around us have encounters with a divine force. Of, I would make the strong case for Christianity, but we, know, we see the effects everywhere and we can't observe it, but like the universe doesn't make sense without it. And so this is what we call God and i don't see how it's any different and i don't and i see a, i see a bias towards it because it it's just the the answer would be god which is opens a whole door for a whole another conversation that people don't want to have
0: like you said not necessarily an expert on dark matter but given the way you presented it that does feel pretty parallel and i'd be interested to see what the response would be I don't necessarily have one. I think the easiest way out is, well, then I just don't believe in dark matter, but then you're kind of throwing, you're undermining your science. So I don't want to start talking for those people, but I'd be curious. I would love to hear what people would have to say to that. Kind of the end of that thought, Corey, what else did you have that you wanted to talk about today? You wanted to launch your stand-up comedy routine?
2: I <laughs> yeah, we'll give com- you, you no, mo-
0: like by the time you hit three hours, that's gonna be the halfway mark. So, but go ahead, just get started. <laughs> No, I have actually one
1: one example that I want to use for the faith on reason thing, the credo ut thing, and then, oh, yeah, that's what the topic is. And, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a science podcast. Dark matter, <laughs> yeah. it, uh, and then and then from there, just have a, a close my my own statement with uh, a crisis of faith I actually had when I was confirmed just recently to the to the Catholic Church that pertains to this subject. So when I was a, a child. My father used to take me and my brother to the local high school th- to the pool so we can swim there. And there was a high dive there and a handful of the neighborhood kids would go and run and jump and jump off the high dive. And I was about 13 years old. And I remember going up on several occasions to the top of the of the high dive and my father being down below saying like, yeah, just jump. Like, let's have fun. Let's do it. And my brother ran and jumped off and all the other kids are doing it. And I'd get up there and I'd freeze. And even the lifeguard would be like, just jump. Like, if anything happens, I'm here. I'll, I'll save you and I'll get you out of that. And as I was reflecting on uh, our subject for today, I was thinking about this and how it relates to, to the faith thing. So you have my father who's calling me to jump. You have the lifeguard who's telling me that I will everything will be OK. All of the my surroundings, all the other kids are doing it even smaller than me and they're OK. So all of reason is telling me that this act is going to be OK. Yet it was ultimately up to me to take that leap of faith. No one else could do it for me. No one else was pushing me. I was up there by myself. And so it, it relates to the spiritual life, right? You have the father who's calling you out of your comfort zone, your Abraham or your Moses and the Israelites being called out of the comfort of where you are to go to a foreign land. And then you have the lifeguard who's like Christ saying, I'm your savior, I will save you. There's nothing that's going to happen to you on this journey of your faith, but ultimately with Christ calling you, with, your, with the Father calling you. You have to take the leap of faith and you have to go experience that. And it's like that day at the pool. If I wanted to experience the fullness of the pool and what everybody else was feeling, I ultimately had to take that leap of faith. Now, this I held on to for years until I, I was born and raised in a Catholic family, but wasn't confirmed till I was an adult. Till 2018 Easter, I, I was confirmed and had already studied philosophy and dug into Aquinas and the five proofs and dug into apologetics and had all the reasons even was teaching in the classroom the reasons why God existed but I remember uh, like shortly after confirmation having a crisis of faith when it came to the Eucharist I had just given a lecture on transubstantiation and proving philosophically what it is but ultimately I I was having what I thought were doubts at the time about is it really I I can't there's there's just no way this this makes sense to me yeah philosophically it does but it Ultimately, what it was, was it was me stuck at the top of the diving board, not taking the leap of faith and letting the experience, like I talked about hitting the home run, teach me what this is about. And then when I learned what it was about, it made more sense to me. And it, it took a while. And so anybody who's who's listening to this, if you have doubts, they're not necessarily doubts because there are definitely mysteries in the faith. And what we mean by mysteries is not that they can't be explained, but that they can't be explained fully by limited finite human reason to get the fullness of what they of what they are you just have to experience them and as I journeyed through the faith and I've been confirmed now for over a year and I've received Eucharist it makes all the sense to me now I love it it's changed my life dramatically and it revealed itself in a way to me like playing baseball that unless I entered the game I would not know what it felt like
2: you're the, I that i you have to play baseball before more. you say you don't like
0: it Oh, I've tried. (laughs) It is bad. Uh, The first thought in my head, which I'm just curious if it feels like a parallel, but it's like, explain to me a rainbow without using the color blue or the color red. You can't. Like, those are essential parts of a rainbow. Right. And so you can't say, like, it is limited what you can explain using only whatever the other colors are. Also, there's There's probably a better example. Indigo and violet. Indigo violet. Thank you there we go Fact <laughs> check. um but and i'm sure there's a better example but that's just the first thing in my yeah. head where it's explain something to me without using parts that are necessary to explain it go
2: it's all the colors i didn't use red <laughs> or blue so jokes on you
0: <laughs> <laughs> no that's a good point it's I, a may, spectrum yeah. of
1: everything other than black and white
0: yeah. <laughs> darn. darn like i said there's a better example this, somewhere no the, but i mean the point is
2: there is yeah you can't you can't explain it without having experienced it. Right. And like we said is, so when you say that you haven't experienced it, but you haven't done the necessary steps to experience it with an open heart, it really doesn't mean anything. I mean, I'm i not saying it doesn't mean anything to that person, but like it doesn't do anything to me to detract from my experience because you have not engaged in the experience.
0: What's the Christianity has been not tried and yeah. found wanting. You got this. Go ahead. We,
2: we cannot have an episode without at least one, probably six, G.K. Chesterton quotes. (laughs) I'm also doing a lot of G.K. Chesterton reading, so it's like very fresh on the mind, but the Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and therefore not tried. The idea that people haven't engaged in the faith completely and found that like it didn't satisfy their desires. It's that people found that what it took to engage in the faith completely was difficult, and so they did not attempt to do it.
1: And I challenge my students every time they have a critique of Christianity, have you actually tried the faith? Have you gone to confession? Have you been confirmed? Have you received Eucharist regularly? Have you gone to Mass regularly? Do you participate in the Mass when you go? Do you read Scripture regularly? Do you pray regularly? And 10 out of 10 times they say when they have a critique for Christianity, actually, no, I haven't done all those things consistently. And I say, well, then try doing them consistently and see if you still
0: have your doubts about Christianity and what it
1: and the positiveness it can bring to your life. Yeah, because
0: it's the same. We and I think we've talked about this as an example before. But in any other case, I mean, those students in class in a math class, I'm not I'm not getting it. Are you doing the homework? Are you paying attention in class? Are you asking for help? Those same things. You're going to a physical therapist. Yeah, my ankle's just not getting better. Well, why are you running on it when I told you to rest it for six weeks? Why are you running on it before you've been strengthening the muscles around it in all the other fields i think it might be a little more accessible so just trying to make that parallel here you have to do what is necessary and if that's not working okay there are more steps we can take but these are the first steps
2: yeah let's let's get like you th- to do this all the way through and then if you're still having problems then we can have another conversation because you know 99 of the time that's not going to happen but yeah, i think you know people they just don't we don't want to we don't want to do we want the results we don't want the process and it's tough
1: yeah especially like i said with technology where there's an instant gratification for if i google the answer there it is but it doesn't work with the faith Uh, you can't google what does it feel like to receive eucharist you have to receive eucharist
0: i'd be curious to see if people who are avid gym goers are more receptive to the faith. Because I think that process is very parallel where going to the gym, you can't, right? That's what they, you can't buy good health or or good shape. You can't borrow it, you can't steal it. You have to work on it and you have to work on it consistently. If you don't maintain it, it's going to fall away. So I'd be curious to see if there's any kind of connection there.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe I feel like the gym rats oftentimes can, there's a way to fall into a false idolatry there, but I think it definitely, and they maybe even people who practice some sort of discipline, like an athlete or uh, someone who has to consistently work at something. I think that there's probably something there.
1: Definitely, and and I've heard analogies before about the spiritual life or your soul being like a muscle that, when not exercised, will atrophy. And therefore, the more like Chesterton, you're you're doing the hard thing, like lifting, you will see a result, a different result that wasn't there unless you're consistently
0: exercising that muscle, or in this case, the soul. Feels like a good place to end it for me. Any last-minute thoughts from you guys? Last five-minute thoughts. (laughs) Right, yes. (laughs) No, I'm good.
1: Uh, No, I was very satisfied with that. I mean, I don't know about Uh you guys. No, that's good. Corey, thank you for joining us. Yeah, hey, thank you for having me on the podcast. I really wish the success for you guys. I prayed for you this morning, and I will continue praying for the podcast and its success. I think what you guys are doing great, and the world needs more good seed being sown.
0: Let's hope that we can sow that (laughs) seed. All right. Thank you for joining us. You will hear us in the next one.